in the parables of Jesus Christ. We've talked about the kingdom parables. We've talked about the parables of the lost things. We've been talking about parables now of Christian growth. The parable is simply an earthly story that Jesus tells, which has a heavenly or an eternal meaning. And one of the things that you see is you see really in the last year or so in the life of Jesus Christ, he speaks primarily in parables. So we see a lot of them as we go through uh, his, his ministry and his life. Uh, one of the problems with parables is in some of them he gives us specific applications and in others he just leaves it open-ended. And so it's easy sometimes to take a parable and go everywhere with it. And we want to try not to do that. So one of the ways that helps us is we, look at, we spend a lot of time in the context and the understanding of the story. And then we can draw some, some practical applications for us. The parable we're looking at this morning is found in Luke chapter 11. And here's what you need to know about Luke chapter 11. The chapter is primarily about prayer. In fact, the first part of the chapter is the Lord's Prayer. So, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, so that's how this starts out. So prior to the passage we're going to look at this morning, that's what he has talked about. So he has, his disciples were saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And it's interesting. They didn't say, teach us how to pray. They said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, well, this is kind of a model for you. This is kind of an idea. This is kind of a, a perspective of what prayer involves. And so he gives them that instruction. And then we're going to pick up the story in verse 5. And here's what he says. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of the friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly, will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So that's the story as we start into this whole thing. So let's make sure we understand it. First of all, what happens is um, a guy's at home, and it's late at night, and a friend comes to visit. Now, in this culture, there weren't hotels and motels and restaurants and all this kind of thing. So the culture of the day, not just the religious world, but even the secular world, said if somebody comes to your house, it's your responsibility morally to give them food, shelter, and, and, and comfort. So apparently this guy had been walking all day. So the, the idea would be this, you're, you're going somewhere and you, you, you would normally just stop into a town as it started getting dark and find, find somebody, knock on a door and say, hey, can I stay with you tonight? If you knew somebody in town, that was better. So, you know, as I'm driving back the other day from BB Town, if I break down, it's like, okay, who do I know that's close to live here that I could call? It's kind of that concept. And so this guy 
He's driving, he's, he's traveling along. He gets to the city. He goes, you know, I know so-and-so, so I'm going to go see if so-and-so can house me for the night. He had traveled all day and he hadn't eaten. So he comes in and he says, hey, can I stay with you tonight? Yeah, sure, sure. No problem at all. And he goes, hey, you know what? I didn't get anything to eat. You got anything to eat? And the guy goes, oops. I don't have any bread. Now, back then, it's like a pita bread. Think of pita bread. That's, that's basically what they ate. They would throw oil on it, and that was kind of a standard, and everybody kind of had those. This guy didn't have any. So he says, you know what? I'll go to my neighbor. My neighbor's got some. Now, it's midnight, and he knocks on the door, knocks on the side of the thing, and says, hey, uh, you know, hey, George, um, you got any bread? I have a friend who just came, and... I don't have any bread. You got, you got something that I can give him. Now, at this point in the story, there are two tracks of thinking, okay? One is that at this point in the story, now it's literal. The other is that it's hypothetical. So let me walk you through both of them. The literal one says this. The guy says, you know what? No. Um, I'm asleep. It's midnight. My kids are in bed. And... To get up and get you something is going to wake everybody up if they're not already awake. Now, again, remember, in this culture, uh, it's not like we have houses today where everybody gets their own bedroom. There was literally a living room. The living room was also the dining room. It was also the bedroom. Everything happened in that room. So at the end of the day, often what they do is they roll out a mat, and everybody would sleep. If it was a cold night, everybody kind of huddled together. Uh, that was the concept. So the guys, think of it this way. Those of you who've been camping, you ever put a whole bunch of people in a tent and somebody's got to get up to go to the bathroom and they get everybody up in order, when, trying to get out of the tent? That's the, that's the concept. If I get up to get you something, go over there and grab it and walk across everybody, everybody's going to be up. So it's a literal thing where the guy says, no, I'm not going to do it. And then he says, the guy realizes he's not going to leave. And he says, basically, out of your shameless audacity, the King James says importunity, he's going to go and he's going to get up and he's going to get you something just so you leave. It has nothing to do with friendship at this point. It's the thing that you have hassled him to the point that he wants to get rid of you. So he's going to get up and give you something that way. That's the literal view of the story. There's also the hypothetical view. The hypothetical view basically says this, that Jesus is saying, look, if a friend comes and he knocks on your door at midnight and he asks for bread, he said, you're not going to say, look, I refuse to give it to you and I'm not going to give it to you and we're just going to go that route with it and I'm not going to give it to you. He, it, it, Jesus, the hypothetical view says, Jesus is saying, you wouldn't do that to a friend who came to you at midnight. If he was bold enough to come to you at midnight, it's because he really needed something, so you would get up and give it to him. It's a hypothetical. You would not reject him at that point. So those are the two views when we come to the story. What it then says is, and the story, so the story is told, and basically he says, he's going to give you what you need and more. He'll give you whatever you need at that point, either literally or, or hypothetically. And then Jesus makes a, a, a transition, and he said, there's a process here. Again, beginning of the chapter, he's teaching the people how to pray, or to pray. And here's the idea. Why would I, as a mere mortal, 
come and talk to God, the creator and runner of the universe. And Jesus uses this idea of, he gives a whole progress here. Actually, it's a progression. He says, first of all, he gives you three ideas. Um, the idea of ask, the idea of seek, and the idea of knock, right? So he walks through this whole thing, and there's kind of different levels of praying. There's the asking, there's the seeking, there's the knocking. Uh, so let's walk through each one, the asking part of it. Jesus is saying, look, in this story, what happens? The guy had to come to him and ask for something. In this case, he was asking for something for somebody else, but he asked. Okay, now look, we're in rural Iowa. This is where most of us stop. Because we don't ask for what we need. Why? Because, look, cut it any way you want, it's pride. It's pride. I don't want my neighbor to know I can't do it on my own. I don't want somebody to know that I need help. Look, my wife's been gone for almost two weeks now. There are a lot of things I realized that I would ask her to help me with, little things. I, I realized this week, clothes do not fold themselves. The dishwasher does not empty itself and make its way up to the, up to the, the cabinets. You know, there are things we would pitch in. I'd do things, she'd do things, and, and all of a sudden I'm realizing, wait a minute, you have to stop and ask. You have to stop and say, God, this is what I need. And most of us get stuck right here because you won't ask. You won't ask a friend. You're going through a tough time. You won't ask a friend to pray for you. You won't ask a friend to, to, to do things, you know, okay, well, you know, I don't, you know, well, you know, I just want to keep it with like our, our little group. Okay. But we, we get to the point where we forget this very simple thing, but it's huge. We have to ask. That's level one. Second level is seek. That takes it to another degree. That is asking and acting. Seeking is, is something that you have to do. So there's a, you've heard me say this over and over again. Often in Scripture, there's a God part and a man part. We ask God to do God's part, but we have to do our part. I'll give you an example. Um, Pastor, would you, would you pray for me? I'm really having a struggle. So I'm over at your house and we're visiting. Pastor, I'm really having a struggle with my weight. Um, and I need, you know, I really want you to pray for me with it because I'm really serious about, you know, losing weight and all that kind of thing. And I'm saying, okay, you know, all right. Yeah, you know, I, I understand that. I can, I, can, I can relate to that. And then, Oh, by the way, just a second. I was at... Krispy Kreme yesterday, I've got a dozen donuts right here. Let me get us coffee, and we'll have a little snack while we're talking. Okay, now wait a minute. If you're serious about this, there's a part of you that has to do something. You know, well, just pray that my appetite will go away. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to learn some self-discipline. You're going to have to learn to say no. You're going to have to change some diet. You're going to have to change some activity. You have to change some things. There's a seeking part. You know, oh, pastor, I want to get closer to God. I want to get closer to God. Okay, great, great, great. Um, okay, so, so tell me, what are you doing? What are you, you know, well, I don't have time for Bible study. I don't have time for church. I don't have time for, I don't have time for devotional in the morning. I don't have time for prayer, but I want to get closer to God. No, you don't. 
There's an acting part on your part. There's an asking, but there's also an acting. There's a seeking part. This is what he's saying. You have to seek. You have to figure out. Because again, put it in context. Go all the way up to chapter, chapter 11, verse 1. How does the Lord's Prayer start? Our Father, that's going to be important in a minute, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So right off the bat, I have to say, God, I want what you want in my seeking part of this. So there's going to be an action part on my end of it. And then, this is my favorite part of this passage, knock, and it'll be opened unto you. That word knock is fascinating word. It's a fascinating concept. Uh, King James translates it importunity. Not opportunity, but importunity. It's the idea of making something happen. Uh, uh, the NIV that we looked at this morning, shameless audacity. Uh, it has this idea that you're serious about it. Um, you're not going to get sidetracked on it. You're going to be consistent, persistently knocking, that constant, that constant thing until you get an answer. <clears throat> um, it's kind of like um, when, when, when my grandkids are over at my house, and again, not so much with the little guys, but with Claire in particular. Um, I, I'm a big proponent of, as a grandparent, you have a responsibility to teach your grandchildren. Okay? So yes, do I want to play with them? Yes, yes, yes. But I'm also wanting to teach them stuff. So one of my, one of my goals with my grandchildren is this. Um, I've noticed that one of the things that I see today with kids is they have so many options. And they have like 50 toys. And so one of the things that I'm trying to teach my grandchildren is the idea of focus and not get distracted. So one of the rules that we have in our house is they're allowed to get one toy out and play with it. And so what will happen is Claire will be playing, we'll be playing Legos or something like that, and she'll go over and she'll go to the bathroom and come back, and then she'll want to get out something else. And so she'll say, okay, Grandpa, I want to get this out. And I'm like, oh, okay, if we're going to get that out, we've got to put this away. Because I don't want you to get all distracted with all of this stuff. I've always got like 50 toys out here, and you play with all of them for like two minutes. No, 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 let's, let, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Now, Claire's brilliant. So now she's come up with the idea of combining toys together. And this is a tough argument to argue against a five-and-a-half-year-old because now what she says is, Grandpa, I want to get out the, the poly pony things or whatever those things are, the, the little pony horses, and I want to get the Lego or the, the Lincoln Logs, and I want to build a corral for my ponies. All right, we'll get out two toys. Um, you know... But at least she's thinking it through. There's a purpose. There's a plan. There's a something. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to teach you, look, honey, in life, you're going to have to learn to focus on one thing. And there's always going to be a lot of distractions. But I want you to learn to focus on one thing. Um, and that's important. And so it, it's kind of like what God does with this knocking idea. He's saying, look, I want you to be focused on this. I don't want you to get sidetracked with other stuff. And if you're going to get sidetracked with other stuff, then guess what? This isn't as important. I want you to have this shameless audacity, this boldness to keep focused on this thing for me. That's what I want to see. That's the idea of knocking. And then Jesus makes this pivot. Um, in, 
in the, in, in, in the world of logic, this is called an A, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pronounce it right, A for sheer I, EI argument. Here's what it means. You argue from lesser to the greater. Jesus now takes this heavenly father, this earthly father idea and heavenly father idea that he started in verse 1, and he, he flips it. And he said, if an earthly father, if a kid asks for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion. Uh, if a kid um, asks for um, a fish, he's, he's not going to give him a snake. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us, but in that culture, scorpions and snakes were always associated with evil. So that's why Jesus then makes this pivot so simply into the idea of if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father? Who you just started in verse one saying, our father who art in heaven. He says, look, you need to understand, if as an earthly father... You want what's best for your children. And when your children ask for something, you give it to them. How much more so your heavenly father, when you are really serious about putting him first and honoring him and wanting what's best for your life, will he not do that for you as well? And he makes that, <clears throat> he makes that, that, that analogy there at the end. So, Let's talk about this because this passage gets abused a lot. Um, this is not a name it and claim it kind of thing, right? You need to understand that. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I prayed for this and God hasn't answered it, so, you know, this doesn't work. No, 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 no. Let's, let's understand a couple of things, okay? We started in verse 1 saying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the whole goal of anything is God's glory um, on earth and in heaven. James, which is one of the earliest books that the church had, talks about you have not because you ask not, and he gives you a whole list of reasons why God doesn't answer prayer. He says sometimes God doesn't answer because you ask amiss. You're asking for your own selfish thing. God, I, I want a Lamborghini, and I'm going to be serious about it. Well, guess what? It's probably not going to happen. Why? It's not about God. It's about you. Oh, no, God, I'll put your name on the side of it. No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Because you ask amiss. Or in some cases, he says, you ask because you're disobedient. You're trying to serve God and mammon. You're trying to play God with both sides of it. And God's not going to answer. Why? God's not going to give you that just because you've asked for it, because his purposes and plans aren't in line for that. So you need to understand how some of this all plays out. So let's talk about it from our perspective this week as we go in and, and, and try to learn. Here's the, here's the thing about the passage that often people miss. A lot of people, when they look at this passage, they talk about that idea of knocking, and that's a big part of this passage, okay? Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But here's what you need to understand. This passage is about a heavenly Father who loves you. That's what this parable's about. In the minds of the disciples, you have to understand, the idea in the minds of the disciples at this point is, Lord, Lord, starting in the first one, Lord, we want to know how we've listened to you pray. We've watched you pray. Can you teach us how to do that, or can you teach us to pray kind of like you do? And Jesus says, yeah, here's kind of a model. Here's kind of an idea. 
Here's kind of a, a template, if you will, for the things that are important. And then the natural idea for this is, now wait a minute, why would I pray to a God who's so busy, he doesn't have time for me because he's got so many other things going on. And what's interesting is the reason Jesus chooses this parable is because he says, look, you need to understand in this parable, the guy gets up and gives him bread, but he gets up out of sleep because he's been disturbed and he's been bothered. And he eventually gives him bread, and it's a hassle for him to meet the needs of his friend. But your heavenly father, he never sleeps. It's never a bother to him. Any more than it's a bother to you when your children or grandchildren come up to you. You go, well, sometimes they're a little, you know, it is a bother. Most of the time, I understand that, you know, and it's not you don't love them, it's just they're being children. But the bottom line is, uh, yesterday, uh, I was home doing some stuff, getting some stuff ready for today, and Erin texted me and she said, hey, I'm in town, uh, stopping by a Euro place, uh, you want me to bring you something, I'll bring Alden over. And I said, no, I do not want to see that child, I don't have time for him. I have way too busy a schedule. I have, I'm not going to spend any time with that child. I got too much going on. You think that's what I said? Bring him over. Sat at the table and ate. Fortunately, he's eating gyros, so we're good. Uh, continue to be my grandchild. Uh, but I mean, you know, so, so we ate, watched him play on the floor, things like that. Why? He's my grandchild. I love the kid. And I realize how rare an opportunity that is. I got friends who would give anything for that kind of phone call, but their kids are on the other side of the country. Why? Because I love that kid. You think when you go to your heavenly father with something, he's like, no, you know what? Sorry, I'm running the universe. Don't have time for that. No. Our father, Abba, one of the most intimate words in the language at the time to say we can go to God as a father, a loving father who cares about us, Abba. And he's saying, and then he uses this, he said, look, an earthly father who's evil will do this. What do you think a heavenly father who never sleeps, who loves you will do? It's not a bother for you to go to him in prayer. Any more than it was a bother for my grandson to come over and want me to sit on the floor and play Lincoln Lock. Why? I love that. And your heavenly Father loves it when you come to Him with your stuff. Because you're your heavenly Father. That's what this passage is about. And Jesus is trying to teach these guys, look, it's not just about how you pray, it's about being willing to go to God and ask and seek and knock until God responds. And then that brings us to this other idea. The seriousness of that knocking. That knocking idea is, is again, the King James says importunity. That's different than opportunity. Opportunity is something that comes along. Importunity is something you make happen. In, in, uh, King James, or in uh, NIV, they translate it shameless audacity. 
um, in the Jewish world, they translate this with a word you may have heard. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but um, chutzpah. It's a Yiddish word, a Jewish Yiddish word. Um, let me give you the definition. Listen to this. Boldness, audacity, effrontery, insolence, gall, brazen nerve, presumption, arrogance, persistence, or just plain guts. That's that word. It's an incredible word. That that's how God wants us to go to Him. In this incredible, bold idea, in this incredibly bold concept, in that it's not just about praying, but it's about praying boldly. It's about really asking and really being persistent, really hanging in there about, God, this is what I want to see you do. God, this is, uh, in this situation, I want to see you work here. I want to see you do this. I want to see you do that. <clears throat> in the book of Nehemiah, um, one of the things that, first of all, Nehemiah is probably one of my favorite characters on leadership. I don't think there's anybody who better pictures godly leadership than Nehemiah. Real quick summary. In the book of Nehemiah, the children of Israel are in ex exile. Um, Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer for a pagan king. And one of, the, one of the friends comes from Jerusalem, and the first thing Nehemiah does after they've been in exile all this time is say, hey, how's everything back home? And they give him the report, and it's horrible. And in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, Nehemiah starts to pray. And he prays, most people miss the timing, but he prays for four months, actually. In chapter 2, he's the king's cupbearer one day, and the king notices that he's, he's, he's upset about something. And in chapter 2, Nehemiah does what no cupbearer should ever do. He tells the king why he's upset. Because again, in this culture, the king didn't, if the king didn't want happy people or unhappy people around him, he just executed them. There are a dime a dozen. Just go bring me another one. You know, I don't need to be around unhappiness. Go. Execute him, bring me another guy. But this guy, Nehemiah, with his boldness in chapter 2, tells the king what's happened. And then Nehemiah, in his boldness, turns around and says, King, will you let me go on leave? And the king says, how long? And Nehemiah goes, as long as I need. Okay. And then... Nehemiah, and the king says yes, and Nehemiah then goes, oh, by the way, king, one more thing. Will you pay for the trip? Because when I get there, I'm going to need building materials. Can we go and cut down the lumber in your forest and build? And the king goes, okay. And you see this incredible boldness with Nehemiah. And I think, as I read the story, I'm like, how in the world do you go from servant to that bold? And this week, it hit me. Listen to the prayer that Nehemiah starts with in chapter 1. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love to those that love him and keep his commandments. Now listen to verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant who is praying before you day and night for your servants and the people of Israel. Do you understand what he's saying here? Hey, God, I understand you're the God of heaven. Now, listen up. I want to make sure you hear this. Hey, in case you missed me, open your eyes. I'm right here. 
Okay, God, now that I have your attention, here's what's going on in Jerusalem. We got an opportunity, and you and I need to do something about it. He prays that way for four months. King looks at him and says, hey, why are you sad? King, let me tell you what's going on. Okay, here's what I want to do. Oh, by the way, I've already thought this all through. I'm going to need some supplies when I get there. Can you take care of that too? You know why he was bold before the king? Because he had been bold before the Lord. You want to be able to have boldness out in the world, standing up for Jesus Christ and standing up for God? Then you have boldness in your prayer life now when it's just you and him. Chitzpah. Shameless audacity. Importunity. Knocking. God. You go, that's obnoxious. Welcome to knocking. That's how we got to pray. Ask, seek, knock. What is it? that you have been hesitant to really keep taking before the throne of God. What is it? We all got something. We all got something that what's happened is we, we've been praying for a person maybe for a long time and we haven't seen anything happen, so it's kind of like Claire. We've, we, we, we wanna, we're kind of done with the Legos, and now we want to go to the rector set. I haven't gotten her there yet. I'm going to get her there. He's too small right now, worried about the little guy. But um, Lincoln Logs. God says, no, 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 I want you to be serious about it. I want you to keep plugging away at it. Keep knocking. Don't give up. By the way, when you come to the end of your time on this earth, what is it we all long to hear? Well done, thou good and faithful, sir. The guy who keeps plugging away and not giving up. That's who Jesus talks to when he talks to his disciples. That who, that's the kind of praying that he's talking about. And that's the kind of praying that we can all do. So I end this morning with this. Jesus uses the parable of the friend's request at midnight to remind us some important principles regarding prayer. Our Heavenly Father loves to hear and grant the requests of his children. He's always listening. He never sees his children as a bother. But he does want them to be focused and sincere. In their request, God actually encourages bold prayers. And He will answer what is always best for us and His kingdom and the plans that He has in the world here and in the world to come. Pray this week, Lord. Thank you for the time. Lord, the fact that we can enter boldly into your presence is an amazing concept. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through someone else. Lord, we can come into your presence 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Never be put on hold. Never have to wait, Lord, till you have time for us. Lord, sometimes we get so caught up in our world that it's all about us. So, Lord, help us as we pray to ask, to seek, to knock. And Lord, when it is all said and done, 
May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven through our lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen.